Karamatsu had a plan. Shocking compared to how he usually lived his life. He planned to wake up around 9am, have a light breakfast, get dressed, scream for a minimum of half an hour, check, double check and triple check his appearance, pack his bag and set out for the park with the intention of arriving at least an hour in advance. Karamatsu was not expecting to learn the intrinsic value in not having a plan that morning. The truth of the matter, as he discovered, was that having a plan just invited ways for the plan to go awry. Karamatsu had woken sore and groggy after the previous evening's run. It was already nearly noon, and he had berated Osematsu, the nearest of his brothers, for not waking him. He would apologise later, of course. Naturally, it was no more than an outburst of frustration, and he already regretted it. He'd hurriedly tugged on his clothes and combed a hand through his hair, but he hadn't had time to perform the thorough examination he'd wanted, which was really rather discomforting, since this would be the first time he wore the outfit in question. It was perhaps a bit less flashy than the other outfits he had been considering, consisting of plain jeans and a blue shirt printed with the kanji for spring in white. The piece de resistance was undeniably the white jacket, its interior lined with pink fabric, and its exterior pattern pink, green and yellow motifs in the shape of flowers, circles and diamonds. He'd fretted for a moment that perhaps it was a bit too much after all, but when he recalled Todomatsu's advice to stay true to himself, he cast away his doubts. At that point, the problem was that he wasn't sure where he'd placed his sunglasses. Well, no, he was very sure that she had placed the sunglasses, a special pair with pink frames and lenses, expressly intended to be worn with this particular outfit, with the rest of his clothes, but he wasn't sure where they'd walked off to while he was sleeping. Someone who was less finicky about appearances might have shrugged it off and decided to go about, but Karamatsu couldn't stand the thought. they completed the look. And so he had searched, 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 and searched some more. He'd searched until Churamatsu yelled at him for making such a wreck of the house. And then, finally, the culprit appeared. ESP Kitty. Why did this cat even wear glasses in the first place? Although Karamatsu had to admit that he looked quite dashing with his new look, Karamatsu had given chase and ultimately, miraculously, succeeded in cornering ESP Kitty and coaxing him into dropping the sunglasses. He'd then begun the delicate process of adjusting them so that they sat just so on his head. But a comment about the time from Ichimatsu startled him into leaving the matter alone. Graciously, Jushimatsu had packed Karamatsu's lunches for him, and so there was probably, hopefully, nothing left for him to do in the way of preparation. Karamatsu had peeled out of the house like it was on fire, only to be stopped just outside by Todomatsu. Don't be in such a rush, the youngest son had warned. Sometimes it's better to make a girl wait a little, make a stronger impression. Hmm? That may work for you, Totty, but not for a guy who inherently has so few redeeming qualities. Out of respect for the fact that Todomatsu had deigned to give him advice, Karamatsu had kept his pace leisurely for a while, but the moment he was sure his brother could no longer see him, he booked it straight to the park. 12.50. He was still early, right? Right? Oh, Karamatsu, if only you knew. He stopped to catch his breath and glanced around the park. Should he have asked to borrow Todomatsu's cell phone? Would Todomatsu have agreed to lend it? Would it have even mattered since he didn't have Matsuri's number anyway? Matsuri! 
Karamatsu's breath came short. He'd been in such a tizzy that she had all but completely forgotten to freak out over the fact that he was meeting with Matsuri. For a date. A date with a girl who'd said he was cool. Stay calm, Karamatsu. You've already made it this far. If she hadn't designated a specific place to meet, then it was likely she would be somewhere rather conspicuous, assuming she had already arrived. He supposed he couldn't know that for sure, but it wouldn't do any harm to look around. Should he have worn his regular jacket and sunglasses after all? Would they have stood out more? Would she have been able to recognise him from a distance more easily? Karamatsu's fingertips felt cold. As far as he could tell, she wasn't sitting on any of the benches, or at the tables lined up at the pavilion. Should he call for her? Would that be disruptive to the park's other visitors? Would she consider him loud and unrefined? His legs were so sore. Keeping up with Jushimatsu was no simple feat, and while he'd gotten a decent amount of rest overnight, his sprint to the park had rekindled that annoying muscular ache. He was glad it was just a picnic, and not something more demanding, like a trip to an amusement park or a hike on a nature trail. How should he greet her? How should he act? What was acceptable? What was painful? Ah, and there she was. She'd spread out a blanket at the base of a tall tree, its many small young leaves casting down the light shade. She wore a simple, knee-length, tiered white dress and had a turquoise-knit shawl around her shoulders. A simple barrette consisting of a small cluster of white pearls adorned her dark hair. Also, she was asleep. Karamatsu silenced the distressed groan that threatened to climb up his throat. What was he supposed to do in this situation? He approached as quietly as he could and observed for a few moments. Yep, she sure seemed to be asleep. So, now what? The first thing that came to mind was to wake her up, but Karamatsu doubted himself. What seemed like a natural course of action to him wasn't always the right thing to do, after all. Maybe she would be startled if he woke her. And besides, how was he supposed to go about doing it? Call her name and get berated for being creepy? Touch her shoulder and get berated for acting too familiar? This whole dating thing was somehow even more difficult than he had predicted it would be. After hovering awkwardly nearby for long enough that passers-by were probably beginning to consider reporting him as a suspicious person, Karamatsu stiffly approached the blanket, stiffly sat down on the very edge of it, not too close, of course and stiffly waited to see if Matsuri would wake up on her own any time soon. If she didn't... Hmm? He sure hoped she did. Time marched ever forward, and Karamatsu began to wish he had a watch. He stole brief but frequent glances at the young woman sleeping beside him, but if he thought about it too much, he became afflicted by a number of maladies including, but not limited to, palpitations, shortness of breath, nausea, lightheadedness and visions of death itself coming to free him from this mortal coil. And so he attempted not to think about it too much, instead opting to focus on such things as the sunshine, the feel of cool grass against his palm, the birdsong that filled the trees, and the activities of the park's other guests. Children played tag or hide-and-seek as their guardians looked on diligently. A pair of dogs met on the walkway and tangled their owners' feet together with their leashes. A swallowtail butterfly flitted past, and Karamatsu turned his head to watch its course, and ultimately met Matsuri's distinctly awake gaze. Karamatsu! Ah! Karamatsu was on his feet in an instant, and then he was on the ground again, 
not because he intended to be, but because one of his legs had fallen asleep, and he didn't have the presence of mind to take that into account when attempting to balance himself. Matsuri also stood. She, however, didn't fall right back down, unlike some people. She lingered over Karamatsu, concern and guilt lined her features. I'm so sorry, she said. I didn't mean to scare you. No, no, Karamatsu extended a shaky hand to stay her. His voice squeaked unnaturally. I assure you, I wasn't startled at all. I'm quite all right. Oh, well, she reached out in offer to help Karamatsu stand, but she hesitantly accepted. I'm sorry for falling asleep before you got here. I, um, was honestly starting to think you weren't going to come. Karamatsu's tension was overridden by surprise. No, of course I wouldn't. I mean, I was a little bit early, I think. Matsuri tilted her head to a side. Are we meeting at noon? Noon? I, I thought it was one. Karamatsu's heart dropped into his stomach. Regardless of what time had truly been designated, the fact of the matter was that he kept Matsuri waiting for an hour, possibly even longer if she'd arrived early. If he'd woken up on time and left when he'd planned to... Hmm, it doesn't really matter, though, Matsuri said. That kind, charming smile was on her lips. She folded her hands behind her back. The weather today is just perfect. I didn't mean to fall asleep, but... You see how that went? She laughed a sweet laugh. You should have woken me up, Karamatsukun. Karamatsu laughed his weak laugh. His mouth crinkled into something similar to a smile. Really, he was just... far too happy. Oh, well, you're probably hungry, right? He suggested, lifting the bag that contained the packed lunches. After all, I kept you waiting so long. Matsuri clapped her hands together. Yes, I mean, I hope I don't seem over-eager. I was just... She folded her fingers into one another. I was looking forward to it, is all. Karamatsu stared, stricken with the force of a truck by the realisation that perhaps, possibly, just maybe, he wasn't the only one between them who was nervous about this whole date thing. It's really nothing to get excited about he warned. Karamatsu set his bag down on the blanket and knelt beside it to unzip it. Matsuri seated herself opposite him, and he poured his concentration into the task at hand. He'd already had more than enough of making a fool of himself in front of her. It was time to show her that Karamatsu Matsuno was a cool guy, trademark. Karamatsu took the lid off the lunchbox and immediately reattached it. He took the lid off again, more slowly, but the sight that greeted him didn't change. The eggs were in crumbly little overcooked wads. The sausages were exploded and charred. The vegetables that had taken an hour to figure out how to sauté properly were slimy and sickly in colour. He couldn't even recognise what the charcoal-like lumps packed into the side were intended to be. Even the rice, which was one of the few things that Karamatsu could reliably and satisfactorily prepare, was dry, flaky and lightly burned most likely from the batch that he had forgotten about while trying to keep up with Ichimatsu's capricious instructions. Karamatsu placed the lid back on the box once again. These were clearly items from the reject pile. How could they end up inside the boxes he'd packed? Karamatsu-kun? Karamatsu's attention snapped upwards. Matsuri looked on with those dark eyes of hers. Is everything okay? Karamatsu shook his head. You can't eat this, he said. I picked up the wrong one or something. I don't know. The wrong one? Matsuri's confusion melted into an encouraging smile. 
I'm sure it's fine. Karamatsu snatched up the lunchbox and pinned it to his chest, unwilling to risk Matsuri opening it. It's not, he insisted. It's full of nothing but the failures. Matsuri held out her hands. And I definitely want to eat it, she said. Karamatsu blinked. Mm-hmm. If you've got enough failures to fill a lunchbox, she explained, then you must have made a ton of stuff. I don't want all that effort to go to waste. Karamatsu's posture relaxed, but it wasn't because his unease had disappeared. He was honestly just shocked. He did make a ton of stuff. He did exert endless effort. He had burned himself, cut himself, exhausted himself standing in that kitchen and desperately trying to cobble together something edible. Were he recounting that small praise as a story to someone else, he would have been unable to describe the feeling that it planted in his core. Not for his own failing, but because it was simply indescribable. It won't taste good, he said, moving the box away from his body and towards Matsuri's waiting hands. It's overcooked at best and not fit for consumption on average. Trust me, it's fine, Matsuri reiterated. She accepted the box and removed the lid. When you work hard making food for someone else, the most important flavour always comes through, no matter how burnt it is. Karamatsu removed the lid from the other box and looked to Matsuri for elaboration. She skewered one of the blackened chunks, waved it pointedly, and beamed. The all-important spice, wanting to make someone smile. Excuse me for just a moment, Karamatsu requested. He set his lunch on the blanket, stood, and wobbled his way to the park's restrooms wherein he proceeded to strike his forehead against the wall repeatedly. <laughs> okay. Karamatsu returned to the picnic feeling more like himself than he had all week. He was able to smile and laugh naturally, and even his painful one-liners, used sparingly, were well received. The food, though, was every bit as atrocious as expected. Chefs can't recognise their own special spice, Matsuri claimed. Only others can tell how delicious it truly is. When the lunch boxes had been cleaned of their contents, Matsuri set hers neatly on the blanket and hummed thoughtfully. Mm, it may be a bit late for this, she said, but I was trying to think of some icebreaky questions this morning and came up with a good one, so I want to use it. Why did your parents choose the name Karamatsu? It's really unique. Ah, uh, what you mean to say is it's really weird. Karamatsu construed. No. No, no, it's quite all right. I already came to terms with it a long time ago. And so Karamatsu told the sad story of how he was born one of six, and of how his parents, faced with the task of naming six identical baby boys, came up with the strangest mishmash of matching names imaginable. And Matsui reciprocated with the story of her own childhood, apologising that she was just a boring only child. They discussed the interests of their use. Karamatsu took up theatre in high school, and Matsuri's passion was the newspaper club. They discovered their shared appreciation for the colour blue. Matsuri commented on Karamatsu's sunglasses, noting that they were different from the ones he had purchased earlier in the week, and that they were, in fact, very cute. Karamatsu, unable to distinguish comments on his clothing from comments on himself, immediately went scarlet. The sun began to set long before they ran out of things to talk about, and Matsuri's dark eyes were filled with twilight. I should probably start heading home soon, she said. I've got work early tomorrow. She stood, he stood, and they began folding the blanket. Karamatsu moved particularly slowly. He would swear up and down it wasn't on purpose. Could I maybe walk you part way, he ventured. 
to the station, or... Matsuri stopped. She stared intently at the cloth in her hands. Karamatsu had fretted over the possibility that he had overstepped a boundary, but before he could open his mouth to apologise, Matsuri raised her eyes and spoke. Hey, Karamatsu-kun, listen. Today was lots of fun. You're a really interesting guy, and I love talking to you, but... But... The word was a sickle, slicing through each and every one of Karamatsu's hopes and lopping their small blossoms from their stalks. Matsuri exhaled lightly. Her voice was small and soft when she continued. I guess you probably know where I'm going with this, huh? Uh, sort of. Karamatsu roughly forced the words up from his chest. Another sigh. <sighs> would it be too cliché if I said, it's not you, it's me? It would, Karamatsu thought. And just like the cliché, it wouldn't be true, would it? He tensed. He resisted. He wanted to be remembered as a gentleman. No. He didn't want to become a memory. If that's true, he said, nearly choking on his emotions, then can't I have a chance? Can't we just just try it and see if it won't work? He shook his head and pushed a hand through his hair. Oi, this is coming out all wrong. I don't mean romantically. Not if you don't want to. But just being friends, is even that too much to ask? Matsuri clutched her blanket. I don't think we should see each other again. Oh. Karamatsu swallowed, flexed his fingers. He desperately tried to summon a smile. He failed. What's impossible is impossible, he said. I understand. I, uh, it was nice meeting you, Matsuri-chan. Matsuri-chan. Bye. Farewell. Before she could give a reply, he turned his back on her and started walking. Don't call after me. Please call after me. But she didn't. His body felt too heavy to make it all the way home, so instead he diverted his course towards the restrooms to shed some of what weighed him down. Karamatsu latched the stall door shut behind him and leaned heavily against it. He was being a child. He had no right to expect anything from Matsuri. He didn't expect anything. He balled his hand into a fist and tapped it against the door. He wanted to slam it, knock it from its hinges, scream and wail and raise all unholy hell. Or rather, he wanted to want to. Instead, hot tears spilled over his lashes. They blurred his sight, stained his face, marked his clothes. They choked his breath and drowned his heart. He willed his blood to boil until they all turned to steam, but he failed. He failed, he failed, he failed, he failed, he failed, he failed, he failed. Karamatsu folded in on himself. He dug the heels of his hands into his eyes, clenched his teeth released one long shudder of a breath. If the day ever came when he recounted this tragedy as a story to someone else, he couldn't even say that they were tears shed for a lost love. It was a loss of acceptance, a loss of eyes that could see him, ears that listened to his thoughts and feelings, a heart that faced his and didn't turn away. Pathetic. He wouldn't even have recognised it as his own voice if he hadn't felt the word rise painfully from his throat. The restroom's main door swung out, and an argument between a pair of children reverberated noisily between the walls. Unable to even have his fill of crying, Karamatsu dried his face as best as he was able and exited the stall and restroom. The thought of returning to that house was torturous. He didn't want to be asked how it went. He didn't want to be asked why his eyes were so red. He didn't want to be told that he should have seen this coming. Shut up. I already know. 
He supposed he had little choice but to wait until the dead of night and then crawl into the futon when the others were already fast asleep. Perhaps they would at least leave him alone the next morning that way. Streetlights brightened around him as he exited the park. Chibitters? He didn't have the energy to listen to the tiny chef compare all his worries to Odin. Bathhouse? He didn't have his toiletries, but he wasn't about to try and sneak into his house to get them. Pachinko? He'd had enough losing for one day. He wished he had a cigarette, at the very least. Sukun! Hmm? Hmm? Karamatsu stopped and looked over his shoulder. Despite his certainty that the voice had been a figment of his imagination, there was Matsuri, running after him with her blanket tucked under one arm and her other hand grasping a smaller piece of cloth. He moved forward to greet her so she wouldn't have to run as far. I... I... here. Thoroughly out of breath, she held the small cloth forward. It was a handkerchief pattern with a pine motif. This fell out of the blanket. I thought it must be yours. It was. Karamatsu thought he'd lost it weeks, maybe even months ago. He wasn't sure how it had made its way into the pockets of clothes he'd never worn before, but it was possible that one of his brothers had stuffed it there after finding it somewhere in the house. Oh, thank you. He took a step in the opposite direction. He felt a tug on his sleeve. Karamatsu-kun, I... I just wanted to clear something up, since I had the chance, Matsuri said. Karamatsu couldn't bring himself to face her. I really do mean that it's a me problem. I know that must sound like an excuse since I'm not giving you any concrete reasons, but it's just I'm kind of afraid. I want to get to know you more. I want to hang out again. I want to give you my number and tell you that the 100 yen store is always closed by 9pm, so if it's after that and before midnight you can always feel free to call me. But sometimes when I get too close to people... But sometimes when I get too close to people, they end up getting hurt. I just can't see that my friendship is worth that risk. Karamatsu inhaled. He looked straight up into the black abyss that spread out from the east. I fall off the roof a lot, he said. I get attacked by cats sometimes. A lot of the people who are dear to me think of me as some kind of living punching bag. I was once battered with household appliances until I lost consciousness. His gaze fell to the pavement, and then he dared to turn it to meet Matsuri's. And I can't imagine a pain that wouldn't be worth enduring for your friendship.